you know, at the end of chapter 10, is the Israelites in their time of the wilderness. Now, there was a lot of chapters in the Old Testament for one year they spent out on Sinai. In fact, it's kind of interesting. Chapter you know, you have Genesis and down to about Exodus 18. 68 chapters, 69 chapters, something like that. For the first however many thousand years. Then you go through the rest of Exodus, like 21 chapters, the 27 chapters of Leviticus, and 10 chapters of Numbers, they're in one place for a year. You have all those nearly 60 chapters just devoted that year. You know, there's a lot on Mount Sinai. But now starting in Numbers 10, they're on the move again. They are going to the promised land, the land that God had told Abraham that he would give to his descendants. So this is really an exciting opportunity for them. Now we know that the Lord is guiding them. He's guiding them through the what? What was the guiding? The cloud. They've also got trumpets that sound the alert to move. They also ask Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, we think there's some question about that, that should be a kind of a guide for him because he knew the wilderness. There's several things to guide them, and they're on their way. Now, we find out in Deuteronomy chapter 1, it takes 11 days to get from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, which is where they were when they sent the spies into the land. So we're dealing at first with this little 11-day jaunt up to the edge of the promised land. We're going to see a lot of things about the Israelites in this, a lot of events. I like this part. I mean, I don't always like what they did, but I think it's really interesting seeing the historical stuff. So that's what we're going to look at primarily today. Any questions or comments before we plunge into chapter 11? Okay, we're not going to try to read this mostly, but we will read this a little. And here's one place we're going to read it. So, somebody read chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Sabera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. It's amazing. They'd barely gotten underway with the march when they started doing what? Complaining. It is amazing how quickly they just start complaining. You know, you think about all that the Lord had done to take them out of bondage. How was bondage for them? Not so good. It was very painful. The Lord had been really merciful because he'd taken them out of Pharaoh's hand. He was probably the most powerful man in the the world. And through the plagues and through the Red Sea and all that, he delivered them. And now they're complaining, you know, of adversity. And, uh, you know, I don't think complaining gets enough attention. You know, when we list sins, do we ever list complaining as one of those sins or grumbling? You know, nobody ever goes to a counselor for an addiction to grumbling. You know, there's no grumblings, anonymous meetings, or 12-step or 10-step programs to uh, overcome grumbling and complaining. But we might need those. You know, how did the Lord feel about the grumbling? Yeah, he did. There was a fire in the outskirts, thankfully, of the camp. Killed some of them. The Lord didn't like them complaining. Well, it doesn't take any time. Look at verse 4. 
the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. I take the rabble there as being, you know, some of the less spiritually minded among them. And uh, they wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Now listen to verse 5. We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our appetite's gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. Wow! Can you believe they said that? What outrages you the most about what they said right there? There's nothing to eat except the food that God sent down from heaven. Yeah, it's like, well, uh, what if he hadn't sent that book to them? What would they have to eat? Like nothing? You know, it might be nice if you were appreciative of the food you had instead of grumbling that it's monotonous. Because if it wasn't for the Lord, you just wouldn't have anything. Would that be better? You know, that's bad. What else is outrageous about what they say in verses 4, 5, and 6? It's not true. Do what? The fish in Egypt. Yeah, what about the fish in Egypt? That they had cried out to God for hundreds of years to save them, and then they get out, and now they're thinking how great Egypt was. Isn't that incredible? It's just amazing. You know, how can they look back to Egypt and be thinking about, wow, we sure did have a good smorgasbord there. Because the truth is, they were suffering and groaning and complaining, and the, the slavery was almost unendurable. And they're thinking, oh boy, the fish were so good. Wow, we do that. We glorify how things used to be. Oh, it was so much better in the past. You ever heard your parents do that? Well, in the old days were sure better. Well, don't do that yourself. Those aren't good attitudes. Um, but there's something else that burns me up even more that they said. There's a, there's a two-word phrase in my translation that I think is just outrageous. What is it? Free. Free! I guess it's a one-word phrase, actually. Free! We used to eat it free in Egypt. Free! What's free about being slaves to Pharaoh? For crying out loud, they used to eat it free in Egypt? Well, they're not paying for the manna, for that matter. And, and that's hardly free in my book. It is amazing that they would say that. Now, before we get too hard on them, you ever complain about food? You know, I am, I am a complainer, as probably all of you all know. But it really aggravates me when I or somebody else complains about food. You know, I'm going to use too many Mozambique stories. Some of you heard me say this. Do you know what we had to eat in Mozambique? What, what they had to eat in Mozambique? Now, when we went there, Kyle and I, my son, back in May, for the first time to that area of Mozambique, which was really poor area. You know, they, I don't like this, but they, they had a head table for us. Nobody else even came to the table. But they set up a table for us. We had chairs, and they prepared us special food, which wasn't much. But wow, what they 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 most they, they don't have they, they don't have money for the most part they don't have money so they raise their own food they raise their own food with no agricultural animals or implements I guess they got a shovel and a hoe in their hand you know that's that's what they raise food with and they raise raise mostly <coughs> corn they grind the corn in what they call corn flour 
And they, they take this corn and they boil it with water. And it's really hard for me to know how to describe this. If you can imagine like a really fat pancake or maybe a really big around dumpling or something like that. It's the texture of really thick mashed potatoes. Um, it's about the color of kind of mashed potatoes that are, maybe they're a little old. Um, except for the fact that there's a lot of black specks in it. And every once in a while it's a little crunchy. Now, I didn't actually go over and look at the women while they were cooking, but, but Kyle decided to investigate. He said that in this corn flour, it's all kind of bug. And so the black stuff is just the bug. I couldn't decide whether the crunchy stuff was the bugs or the sand, because there's sand everywhere. Uh, there's no flavor to that stuff. It, it's not like bad in the sense it's repulsive. It's not repulsive. It's just like eating nothing. And after a while, you get really tired of eating something that tastes like nothing. It really, it had about the least flavor of anything I've ever eaten. Uh, they do have, the other thing they, the other two things they have the most of are little bitty peanuts, which if they roast them are bad. I don't like them very well when they're raw because they just kind of, uh, you can't hardly eat them, they're just kind of chewy. Uh, but but roast them, they were too bad. And, and mandioca, I have no idea. But it's it's like a it's kind of like a potato in a sense. That's basically what that is. The root, yeah. So it's a potato. Uh, but that that's what they had. I mean, wow. There was no fast food. <laughs> you know, I, I I mean, some of these people are making ten or twenty dollars a year. That's the money they're. Well, how far would ten or twenty dollars go to buy extra food besides what you raise? Like, not far. So, like, you eat what you raise. Now, what I, the person I was studying with, Joe Dodson, who was translator, he's really smart. He knows a lot of languages. He really knows quite a bit about the Bible. He's he's pretty intelligent. But he just moved back there to try to teach and preach, but the churches don't pay him hardly anything. So he said in January, they got to the point where they didn't. I don't know what he meant by that. I don't know if he meant they had nothing to eat. But I took it they didn't have much, if anything. He said finally her mom called her dad. His, his, his wife called her dad. Who lives? And he said, I'm sorry, I can't help. We don't have anything either. Can you imagine that? But that was right before the crop came in. So it's kind of like, I suppose they run out of the flower and things like that, and they were just kind of waiting until the crop came in to where they, they could eat again. I'll tell you what, it just makes me mad. When we complain about our food and everything else we complain about, the Lord has blessed us so much. We have everything. I would be ashamed, uh, you know, really in many ways, I would be ashamed to, to take um, you know, a lot of Brazilians, Tomas has a prosperous family. There'd be a lot of Brazilians, Tomas, that if they came here, they would be really surprised by how wealthy Americans are. You, you, you would agree with that, that Moises Brasileiro speak on the own, Ajuidade, Skol, Ajuidade, 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 
quais coisas aqui seriam coisas mais talvez surpreendentes para os brasileiros? What things here would be the most surprising things for Brazilians, a average Brazilians, to to see us having a doing that may not be so normal in Brazil? Yeah, perhaps everything being so mechanized and automatic. There's a lot of things. And Brazil is hot. Brazil was a big, like, totally different world. It's amazing. So it just, you think about this, and you realize how ungrateful the Israelites were. And, and it just, man, it was really a lot of pressure on Moses. You know, and, and you know, Moses finally just said to God, look, I can't handle this anymore. You know, I, I don't know what to do for them. They're about to, they're about to riot, and I can't take the pressure anymore. I, I don't know, I can't carry this whole people by myself. Just go ahead and kill me. <laughs> so Moses was complaining about the responsibility of leading them when they were grumbling so much. Their complaining led to Moses' complaining. And the Lord did two things. He sent uh, the, uh, the Spirit and the wind. That's the same word in Hebrew. The Spirit came upon 70 men and they started prophesying and they were going to help Moses in leading the people. That, that's part of what he did. And there were two guys. This is now down to verse 26. Eldad and Medad. And those guys were continuing to prophesy, you know, with the Spirit on them. Look at verse 28. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. Like, Moses, don't let those two guys prophesy too. And Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? This is 29. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. You know, wouldn't it, he, he would rejoice if all the Lord's people could prophesy and God's spirit was on them. Moses is not jealous. You know, Joshua was jealous for Moses. Don't let them, you know, prophesy too. Moses was like, I wish they would. Good leaders are happy when anything's done that honors God, whether they're personally involved or not. He rejoiced that there was help. And Eldad and Medad, among others, were able to prophesy and help lead. And then God sent this wind, and it brought quail. You know what quail are, right? It's kind of a bird. And you can eat it. And, wow, there were so many quail. The people started killing them. They were, they were sick and tired of the manna. They couldn't wait to get their hands on this meat. And can you imagine, like, a sugar-crazed boy in a candy shop? You know, they were just ah, gorging themselves on his meat. And the Lord was angry with them. And he struck them with a very severe plague. And the and he called the place ended up being called Kibroth Hatava in verse 34, which means graves of craving. You know, they were so greedy that they ended up a bunch of them dying there. That's what the Lord thought about their complaining. I talked a lot, comments and questions on this chapter. What did Tibera mean? The the last when God sent the fire on the camp? Yeah, um, uh, that's a burning. good question. Yeah, burning. 